All right, so last week in part one, we pretty much wrapped up through the airplane scene, which really brings Meg Cassidy into the fold. Before we pick up with the plot, Chris, we failed to mention two things that I really, really liked about the beginning of this book, the dedication and the epigraph. Do you mind if we just back up a second? Because check this out. Brad dedicates this book to his father, Brad Thor Sr., his mother, Judy, and his uncle, you ready for it? Joseph P. Fawcett. Joseph P. Fawcett. F-A-W-C-E-T-T. Do you remember who Donald Fawcett was? No. He was the energy oil tycoon in Lions of Lucerne. Oh, yes, 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 yes. got yes. the senators to do his bidding. He was, he was like, you know, the big bad of it all. The big bad. Like the, he organized the, the kidnapping. Figure. Yeah. That's funny. That's right. And I caught that Brad's uncle was Joseph Fawcett. Uh, that's funny, Brad. Brad picking names from his family for characters. And also, I found out there's a history to Scott with one T. Okay, give it to me. Brad's brother. Is a Scott with one T? His brother is Scott Thor. Uh, that's awesome. There's a Scott Thor. That's an awesome name. Remember I was emailing you a million things that one night? Yeah, you emailed me like five things and... and... 1 a.m. <laughs> I did, didn't I? Um, You're like, check this out. Check this out. Check this out. I was literally, I was going down the rabbit hole of Brad Thor finding all these esoteric articles. That's where I found out, like we mentioned last week, about his traveling light. Travel about series. his wanting to, saying, he, saying one week he was going to run for president and then backtracking next week. Yup. And, and just a little more info on that. Yeah, he tweeted back in let's see last april whenever this article was if no conservative steps up i will absolutely challenge donald trump in 2020 america deserves better leadership in fact let's make it official i'm in but then next week he says <laughs> uh, i don't even know if i consider myself part of the part a republican anymore I thought that was interesting. I guess he's 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 a, he's a libertarian, right? So yeah, he said he doesn't even identify with the party as much. So he backtracked and said, "I'm not going to run for president." But he did tweet that randomly back in April of 2020. It says last year. No, that was 2018. 19? 18. Yeah. Oh, okay. 2018. Yeah, this article was published in August 2018. Brad Thor 2020. Let's. 2024 let's go man yeah or right, one other thing though i said i liked in the beginning of the book the epigraph really sums up a lot of the plot we talked about in part one and what we're going to talk about in part two the epigraph is cv pacem parabellum if you wish peace prepare for war that's a good one was that quoted by anybody i feel like i've heard that before let's see if you wish peace, prepare for war. It sounds like a Sun Tzu. It's a Latin saying, so it's not Sun Tzu. Ooh, look at this. The Latin author, Publius Flavius Vegetius Renatus, Vegetius. on his De Re Militari, the 4th or 5th century AD. So I guess a Roman? 
Sounds like a, a Roman author, Publius Renatus. There you go. That's a good line. No, I like that one. You notice something I rarely do. I don't think I had any quotes in episode one. You did not. But that epigraph goes to a quote here that really defines Scott. And he says, quote, Once you'd played offense, it was almost impossible to move over to defense. Either you took it to them, or you sat back and waited until they brought it to you. Harvath was not made for sitting back and waiting. Yeah, no, I, you pinpointed that, and I picked that up when I was reading it too. And I think that that is the theme that Brad is going for from the very beginning, from, from Lions. You know, we're seeing this guy who's used to, obviously he's played offense before, transition to defense, is a very good Secret Service agent. But really he's more suited for offense. Mm-hmm. And we're we're seeing his, obviously he was great at it in Lions. Um, he's now off on his own. Like that, that, We didn't even mention that. The reason he's doing this is because he was given special permission to, we, we mentioned that he's hunting these lions, but he was given permission by the president to take right. like a leave of absence, get paid. He has this, you know, director of white house operations sitting for him when he comes back that ultimately gets taken away for from him. <laughs> I love the end scene where like the president's like, yeah, I can't give that to you anymore. Cause instead I want you to, you know, to lead this team, you know, it kind of reminds me of like the Orion group, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, the, the, the transition from defense to offense is the overarching theme that Brad really wants to put into the Scott Harvath character. And we're seeing that grow throughout these first four or five books, you know? Yep. And you're totally right tying that to this job offer where the president is literally saying at the end of Lions, I want you to go out there, take care of whatever you need to take care of. But now his promotion is White House Director of Operations. That's a little more reined in. You know, that's essentially a desk job. That's managing employees. And so the moment he got that job offer, I was kind of hesitant because I want to see Scott let loose. I want to see him off the chain. And thankfully, the ending of this book we'll get to, he does turn down that job offer. And we're going to talk about why. All right. So we we left off with the airplane scene, as you mentioned. Our silver-eyed assassin, who was on the plane, along with Nadal, who is not the silver-eyed assassin. We get that little needle drop. Two separate people. That there's two separate people. They get away. They're able to use these mummy boxes that... Again, the politicians coming in, yep. messing it all up. The CIA, the CIA wanted to look in the boxes. Why they didn't uh, X-ray them, I, I don't know. I guess, oh, I don't know. Politics, you know, that screws it all up. They get away. They do this interesting thing of like, obviously Meg escaped, and they make it known their plan that the CIA has to like make Nadal mad that he was foiled by a woman by blasting like Meg on blast and sh- showing what hospital she's at puts her in danger, not only here, but then once she leaves here, Scott gets her back safe to Chicago. You know, she's not safe there. She's got a target on her back. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to move next to Chicago with Scott going on a epic Ducati chase and oh, yeah. uh, a cigarette boat chase. A cigarette boat. So yeah, like we're moving through these action set pieces. We now have this character of Meg who we, we brought up before. She's, kind of a badass in the beginning and is able to hold her own. But again, like you said, she has a target on her back. So I want to ask you, because we're jumping 
scene to scene, explosion to explosion, car chase to boat chase. And every time someone sees the silver-eyed assassin. Were you a little off-put that this person is moving so freely about the U.S. and about the world? And is the one actually coordinating and launching all these attacks? I don't know. Something just rubbed me the wrong way that three or four times the exact same trope happens where I caught a glimpse of their eyes. This is the work of the silver-eyed assassin. It was cool at first, but I think this is the fourth or fifth time someone caught a glance of their eyes. And I'm like, how many times can this person get away with blowing something up, getting chased, getting away? Taking the plane, they need to get money from a hostage situation to run their operations. Oh, that person got away. You know, it just happened one too many times for me, I feel here. Well, I think that, like, obviously this person who we're going to find out is actually Abu Nidal's daughter, who was the one who's in charge, not the brother who was the other one on the plane. She has this characteristic of her, you know, this physical characteristic of her that is so distinct. You know, you would think that that person would try to hide that, especially if you want to be able to move in and out of these countries. Like one, one second she's in Egypt and then the next she's back in Chicago. Right. Um, and obviously Scott has told someone that he's, he saw, he heard like what, what some old lady in, in Switzerland said. The one characteristic of the person who parked that car had silver eyes, right? Yeah. That was the first time we got it. And then Scott, like, sees them. Uh, Ari Schoen sees them. Like, you would think that, all right, we need to find someone who has these silver eyes. Like, this, it's not common for people to have silver eyes that then transition to, like, these deep black pools. You would think that you would try to hide that. You know what I mean? Wear right. sunglasses, put in contacts, you know? Instead, she just pops up in Chicago or at this hospital and does another explosion. I'm like, it just seemed a little contrived, if you will. Yeah. It took me out of it almost. Like at first I was like the silver eyes, cool defining feature. But by now I'm like, yeah, guess who did the explosion? You're going to see the silver eyed person and you're going to chase after them. Yeah. Although that does bring Meg into the fold and we go off to Meg's training, which I don't want to be a, a negative Nelly here, but was the, this much training necessary? They're at Harvey Point, the CIA paramilitary training center. You could tell Brad wanted to give us kind of an insider's glimpse into what that would look like. But then Scott finds out they're drugging her. <laughs> they're giving her these like super steroids, and that's all Rick Morell's doing and, and the crew put in charge of her education. And so she's like, hell no. She actually gives lip to – she punches Rick, doesn't she? She sucker right. punches him. And she's like, no, I'm out of here. So she kind of – her and Scott both still don't like the spooky stuff the CIA is doing. And they pull her out to the uh, the the Delta Training Center uh, outside Fort Bragg, known as the Ranch. So again, kind of cool. And there's actually a female crew there because Delta did in this time period – but I thought the training lingered a little much, although it does bring in Bullet Bob, which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, there, there's times where, again, I, I mentioned it's probably like this 10-chapter stretch where we've sort of left Chicago. We're getting ready for them to go. You know, they know that they're all right, we're going to go 
the whole premise of this, right, is that Meg had to be recruited because she's the only one that has seen not the silver-eyed person, but the the brown-eyed terrorist who they, they believe is Abu Abu Hashim Nadal. Yeah, Hashim Nadal, which they are they are correct. I think one of the problems that maybe me and you have is that nowadays this wouldn't happen in, in in this way. The person will be recruited, but they would be recruited to then sit back and watch right. via video cam to ident- identify. Like whereas right. I had to sort of put myself in the mindset of during this time they didn't have that technology and so the true. only way for her to ID them would be to be close in the operation. That's true. I don't think we really needed to see all like they could have just said she went and got trained, you know, like she did these things. I think it was a one it was a way to like bring in these little little snippets that, that Brad wanted to inter- to explain. He wanted to explain the, the farm. He wanted to explain the the ranch, you know, talk about some sort of research that he did. Again, draw this dislike that Scott has for the CIA and more so for Rick Morrell. But yeah, it was it was just ten chapters that you know you could have cut it out. Was it at the expense of the story? Because the exact chapter where Meg is training at the Delta Center, the terrorists blow up the Kaaba, and I'm sorry, but in my mind, having that important of a religious artifact and location blown up as a side note like literally just a line in a chapter where we get pages on pages of meg cassidy's training it just seemed disingenuous to me because i like a thriller where blowing up the kaba is boom the major that's it that's the story how that changes the world how different players respond what's going on intercontinentally as a result of this and it was just a side story. I Maybe that was just Brad still being a little raw as a writer, you know, putting this in to pack a punch to have this kind of big thing happen, but not really realizing a good story has to give the well-rounded consequences of that. His choice was obviously to develop the characters in a small way, the microcosm of Meg and Rick Morrell and Scott and how their relationship is going. But to me, you can't just ignore, if you're going to write it, something as important as that blowing up. Well, yeah, because I think like, that could have been the entire plot of another book. Absolutely. Like, stop, stopping, like, we have to prevent this, you know, that attack from, from stopping. The, the thing that I don't get is that why, why Scott doesn't address it at all. Right. I think he, just, he, he sort of talks about it off the cuff, as if, if it's just another explosion in downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, you know? no, it's not. Um it's a big deal. Yeah. And he does, the the consequences by him, by Rick, by any other player in the game, you know, they they're so focused on this Ashim Nadal and like the consequences of what he's going to do because of these attacks, but the attacks themselves weren't some sort of reaction from them. They're in this game and I don't know. I guess they're they're like all right. We, we really got to find them, you know, now because because of these things are happening. But I, I feel like it needed to be something more than that because, like you said, yeah. th- these all of these are they kill a Saudi prince, you know, like they they blow up the Al Aqsa Mosque at like a high prayer, and they blow up the Kaaba, I, two of the most holiest sites. Yeah, like two of the three most holiest sites in the religion, right? Yeah, and there was a shooting also in Medina. 
Right. That, that was in Medina is the third one, right? So like all they, three, they, yeah. They, all three of them, yeah. You so. got Mecca, Medina, and Jerusalem. I'm just like, I I don't know how you could downplay that. Like you 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 literally, there's no way you can write on the page that that happened, and then go back to Meg's training on a ranch in North Carolina. Like, I it just really was off putting to me. I hate to say it, but that right there dings a good two or three points off the scorecard like right away i just that's my bias and i can't get over it so is what it is one thing that like the yes that is true but what brings me back into this is like the next scene that we get you know the the, desert the the run-up to we get all this training and then it's executed with this awesome desert scene absolutely agreed and we start off with the hey ho jump, and like she's she's freaked out. Yep. And they come in, and then like all this hijinks happens with you know, which I think again, obviously it's it's fiction, it's a novel. Brad had to do something to get them captured, right? But the fact that she just like runs off and like goes down there and is not stopped by these other CIA men. I mean, I guess Rick is mad, but he doesn't do anything to stop it. Scott. Or Brad, but they both sort of say that Rick probably went along with it because he could care if they die or not. He exactly. wants to get with Abu Nidal. You know, they're there. They they, they right. got to figure out something. They got to idea him. I guess like Meg like goes in through these waves of being super badassy, super confident, and then like the next couple of pages, she's scared and timid and meek. Yeah, and I I just you know I felt like it was I couldn't quite see which way Brad wanted to go with her. I agree. Um, but yeah, like once, you know, then they're taken. Then we get the the needle drop of who this assassin is. Right. Wait, it's it's a it's a sister. It's not it's not the brother. She's in charge. And then friggin' uh, what's his name? Uh, Avigliano coming back to rescue them. Yes. And the the scene in the dunes driving through and the, then the helicopter scene coming in and parachuting out like that whole sequence from yep. the hey ho jump to the hot the what is it um the hot exfil you know yes. that whole stretch was great that was excellent know? a second best action scene sequence in the book and scott like takes one of the stinger missiles off of this overturned vehicle in the desert and is able to shoot down one of the choppers like <sighs> yes. that was just awesome and then the chopper circles back around and I forget what other weapon he uses, but maybe it's the the heavy machine gun, and he's able to shoot off the tail rotor of the second chopper. Yeah, really cool stuff. And then they've got Exfil under fire, dangling from the rope. Yeah, really cool stuff in the desert. And so if you're going to spend 10 chapters on that sequence, that's perfect. I just didn't need the previous 10 chapters of in-between with her training. I, I mean, I would have loved to jump right to this shortly after the airplane scene. And I hope people have noticed I'm not a junkie where I just need my books to be action, 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 badassery after badassery. I actually like the character development. I mean, just think of my favorite parts of the Mitrap series. One of them was the epilogue of Consent to Kill, which people don't like because it didn't have action and him killing Louis. But I love right. it because of the character building. Just the character building here between the action scenes is lacking. 
which makes me need like I almost need I crave a good action scene to kind of save me and keep me going in the in the book. Right. And that happens here with the desert scene, the Tunisia, Libya stuff. Yep. So is there anything else from the when they're taken hostage that you wanted to bring up? I guess the 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 plates, the right. We mentioned this before like she sort of messes like the only reason that they're able to capture in the end is because she's so self-confident that they won't get rescued yep. and she lets on lets them know too much too much information. And I actually about this, I think I have a thorism. Okay. All right, so for listeners of the Mitrap pod we found a lot of things that were Flinian, some Flinianisms. And then with Kyle, we found some Kyleisms. I think I've got a Thorism here. In addition to the travel guide stuff, you know, traveling heavy, the Scott Harvath travel guide. In addition to that, I think another Thorism are these meal conversations. Mm, okay. Do you remember Claudia? Conversation over meals. Claudia, Minor, and Scott at the cafes in Lions of Lucerne. Had some really good zingers, some back and forth trying to one up one another, kind of like, you know, Kennedy and Ben Friedman. Right. Here, earlier in the book, Meg and Scott have that conversation when Scott is trying to bring her into the fold to join the CIA, to get trained, to go on the mission. And he has to be real careful, you know, being honest, telling her how he really feels about the CIA, but then also convincing her and, and getting her to come on board. He does that expertly. And then here, Adara N- uh, Nadal sitting down at the dinner table, serving a meal, trying to build a relationship with Scott and Meg because she needs information. But she's also showing she's different than her brother and her father. She's going to run the organization in a different way. I thought that conversation really was written well. And I think some though, some of those are Brad's best writing that's not action are these dinner scenes or these meals. Yeah, no, I, I think especially because we get a lot of information dump over them and exactly. we, we learn we learn stuff about the characters through them. Not so much like exposition, but just like through the things they say, through the things that the actions that they do. It advances at, the at plot. These, yeah. Oh no, that that's something we need to we need to pinpoint out like Anytime someone's sitting down for dinner, odds are we're going to get something important. Um, because for sure. the opposite has happened with Brad thus far. When we have a sit down that's just exposition and, and filler, it's usually a situation room, like at the end of this book. I actually don't right. like where it's Director Vale or the president or someone else, just Gary Lawler retelling the events. That kind of exposition doesn't hit for me. But these meal scenes are the characters themselves and dialogue advancing their relationships or advancing their perspectives, not necessarily this omniscient person watching in a situation room who's just going to give you the facts. No, these conversations are the characters from their own individual perspectives doing, saying, negotiating things that move the plot forward. And that's the kind of exposition I really like. Because it's intertwined with character development. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm gonna. This might be like a, a deep cut to meta. But I'm thinking of there's even one other scene, which sort of shows this progression of morale. They're on the airplane going to the desert, and they don't share a meal, but they share coffee. 
Yes. And that the dialogue writing there, it, it just felt a little bit different. And they actually like sort of begin to see each other and begin to, all right, we need to work together if we're going to, you know, catch this guy. Right. And I'm going to give you the information in full and I'm going to be real with you. And I, I just, that conversation felt different to me than some of the other conversations that he's had either with Rick or with these other players yes. in the game. It's like whenever you introduce food or drink around a conversation, it just, it, it feels better. It vibes better. And another little way that Thorism pops up, another memorable scene in Lions, when that journalist corners Scott, I remember he was in the ski lodge and he was just about to sit down to a bread bowl of soup. <laughs> right. And right. <laughs> he's sitting down about to have this meal. And then she comes in. And obviously, as a journalist, she had a whole different angle, and she was working, or, or she was tipped off by the bad guys. Her name is dropped again in this one. Did yeah, I saw that? that. I saw that. I Joni Burnus. Yeah. yeah, this journalist name uh, is also reporting on Meg Cassidy. So I like those threads. That's another thing we like to pick up on in these thrillers, the threads tying the universe together. And it seems that happens around food. Yeah, very much so. All right, so... Once they get rescued, they go to Tunisia, right? Uh, that's when they're in this. They get debriefed. Scott has not believed that right. Abu Nidal, like that's actually his sister, and she's the one in charge. So he sort of has to take things up on his own. Exactly. And they end up finding their way to Italy. Yeah, a bit of a stretch. I, f I don't know. I feel like, did Brad just want to write a badass scene in Capri and Naples and Rome? Or did the story really necessarily have to go there? I, almost, I honestly felt you could have ended the book after they got rescued. The desert. Right. I agree. And then, the and then just had, like, had, a, had a sort of continuation. You know, keep, keep the story going. You right. don't have to conclude it. Like, you obviously, you figured it out, like... You had this needle drop of that, oh, shit, it's actually a woman. It's actually his daughter. Uh, and the hand has of God. This plot. The hand of yeah, God hand is of not God. Jewish extremists. It is the Abu Nidal family trying to stir right. the pot. Exactly. So that's such oh, a well, big he, he doesn't. He doesn't learn. He, we learned about that, but he doesn't learn about that until the very end. Oh, true, true, true. Uh, we learn about it because we know that the silver-eyed assassin is the one doing it the hand and of God so attacks. we know that, that that she's actually killing her own people as the reader but yeah scott and co don't learn that until the very very end also a cool ending though right when when we know something scott doesn't know and so we're left wanting how is scott in the next installment going to figure out what we know you know kind of it reminds me of the of extreme measures you know like we don't get full resolution of that story the, the right. killers get away Right. But there's this crazy action sequence to, to cap it all off to, you know, quote unquote, save the day for the meantime. Yeah, I, I felt like you could have ended that there and it, and it would have been awesome. Yeah. The whole, the last, the, the Italy sequence, while it's cool at times, it just goes by so fast. Right. It's, it's a blur. It's a lot of chapters and it's a lot of plot progression, but it's, not that much of the book, you know? 
it's also, quantity was. It's also after we're a little exhausted. Like we kept yeah, saying I'm, I'm, how long this book was. I'm tired. I don't know if I was ready to go to Italy and Naples and Capri and Rome. And I mean, again, just felt a little contrived that we had to go there. We had to have all this happen. They had to go shopping. Like, right. What's the, what's the reason that they go to Capri? She she remembers that it's this pure perfume, right? The perfume, right. And then later on, they find the restaurant because the plates that Adara served was Buon Ricordo, this Italian restaurant chain. So, yeah, they've got this loose hint of perfume. And then even more of a stretch how they find the vineyard, which was a little weird, right? So eventually there's a few chases where they know Adara's there and they find out she the gets target. Away. She gets away again. They see the silver hide assassin get away. And that's on the island of Capri in Naples. But they find out two diplomats, particularly the Palestinian diplomat, who is coming off as a peace builder, who is getting a lot of momentum in the peace process, is still very pro-Palestinian, so going to be liked by the Palestinian hardliners, but at the same time is gaining traction working with the people at the peace summit. Well, they realize a couple of these diplomats on both sides will be having a meeting outside of Rome. And that's how Scott and Claudia put the pieces together. This is where the next round of attacks is going to go down. Meg, you said Claudia. Oh, oh man, I wish it was Claudia. Um, and they end up in the catacombs. So we're also in the catacombs under this cellar in Rome. And they find this weapons cache, grenades and... Uh, Nukes or radioactive material. Radioactive material. I almost thought it was chemicals. Stingers. Material. Stinger missiles. There's like a huge thing. And they're like, we're really close to what's going down. They get intel it's going to be at a vineyard based on this map. And there's an explosion radius and a possible fallout map with a radius. And like, we got to stop this. Did you find it was kind of weird how they set up kind of this sting operation to not stop the operation, but let it kind of progress until they could shoot down this chopper? What was that about? It got a little weird. The Honestly, the last... It was a blur. It, it was it was very fast. Um, and... It, I kind of, I, I didn't have a chance to go. I wanted to go back and reread it because it just, it went really fast. Um, right. I remember. What, what, what they end up doing is they end up, all right, so they know that there's this one, one flight path and that's the only way they're going to come in. They know that they can sort of mimic the politician or diplomats um, helicopter frequency or call sign, whatever. And then essentially they put out a dummy pilot. A dummy. Yep. With the the Cabanari, right? And boom, as soon as they do that, she shows herself and she takes out the helicopter. She launches the missile and they yep. could follow that to see where it was fired from in the vineyard. Yeah. Meanwhile, before that, right, Scott, they track, they figure out this catacombs. How did they know to go from Capri to Rome? Is oh, that guy that she was sleeping with? Is that is that, is that who tells them that right. she was going to Rome? She was staying with that guy. What does he say? Oh, he does feign ignorance, which probably was true. He didn't know what was going on. But he has a tip. I forget what the tip was that leads them to that apartment or that building in Rome. Right. Yeah. I, dude, I don't know. Some of this stuff just didn't stick. It wasn't. It I just read matter. it, too. And it's it's like I liked the first 
80% of this book more, and I cared more about that than the very end. Right, so they find the catacomb. As they're in there, Hashim comes in, and Scott just immediately goes, all right, I got to take out these guys. Meanwhile, he fires a stinger missile, but there's also like a shit ton of other like ammunitions there. I guess he's not worried that this is going to cause like a huge explosion in downtown yeah. Rome. And the guy just threw like, a stun grenade. I know that wouldn't set anything off, but I mean, it's like you could very easily knock into something or some shrapnel could hit something. I was surprised. There is radioactive material there. Right. <laughs> or like, yeah. So that was kind of weird. And he's like, all right, I'm not, no time for me to go check to make sure that uh, Hashim is dead. Let me uh, let me just go try to get his sister. You know, they set up the whole thing with the helicopter. They find her. They they track her to this uh, again some catacombs at this vineyard. And then who do they find? But Ari Shone pops up out of nowhere. Right. It has a gun to, gun to the back of her head. Yeah, I'm glad he came back. Because it sure. was he was a character, and and what he wanted to, and why he was involved was very intriguing to me. But popping up at this point just didn't pack the punch that I was hoping it did. And then Scott realizes the picture in his office was very similar to a picture in Adara's camp in in the Libyan desert. And he realizes they might have some sort of relationship. But she went to Oxford and it's all like clicking. Why would you want revenge against her? Right. He doesn't know what the connection is. Yeah. And he coaxes out of them and he guesses right that they went to Oxford together. Ari Shone's son, right? Yep. Want, wanted to marry her. Wanted to marry She's an Arab. Yeah. She's an Arab. They were Israeli. Ari said no. He basically ripped them apart. He took. He took his son back to Israel, said, you can't, you cannot associate with her. <sighs> I didn't care. <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't care. <laughs> no, I think that's the problem. I, I just didn't care enough about that to like have this be this great culmination at the end. Right. And then, and then how she and he, they, how all of them die at the end was fucking crazy, dude. What? Ari Shon, okay. Ari Shon what? tries taking, he tries taking Adara Gets her in a van with his Mossad people. They're about to drive off. And out of nowhere, Hashim is holding grenades. Does he have two grenades, like one in each hand? And he chases down this van, jumps into it right as they close the door, and blows all of them up, including himself and Adara. So bye-bye, Nidal family. We got no more terrorists to worry about. They blew themselves up. Okay. I read that and I was like, what just happened? What did I what what did I miss? What isn't he dead? Like wait, I don't what? Oh man, I don't know. Oh uh, my it got goodness, a little out of control dude. here. I, I feel like the, the, the wheels were, were coming off the rails. Yeah, no, that's what I now that we like have talked this out, the book should have ended way earlier. Right after they got the that hot exfil. Do but you know traveling heavy. They needed like five more destinations to go to. The vacation wasn't complete. Capri, a Capri, Anacapri. They go to the Anacapri. They go to then they go to Rome. Then they go to outside of Rome. Like they needed four more locations to hit up in Italy. Oh man! You know what's crazy though? Speaking of the travel guide, the restaurant that the plates are from in Rome. Yeah. 
And the neighborhood where that house is that they initially go to is in Prati, which was where my school was in my study abroad in Rome. We were across the street from Taverna de Gracchi, the restaurant where the plates are from. Did you go to that place? I didn't go there, but I literally can picture the sign directly across the street from my university. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. There were a couple of mentions like that in the Mitrap series that were just so close to places I've been or lived right. or visited. And that's happening again here. Right. I love it. I love it. It's crazy. I lo- yeah, exactly. It really brings me in. I mean, just having these personal connections to it. Oh, right, so th- that was got- the other one. The other place that Scott goes to, you know how we talked about in Lions, his cold shower trick to wake him up? Mm, yes. He does that at the Chinkapin Rec Center. Dude, that's in Alexandria, five oh, minutes yes. from my house. That's right, where right I go running. Yeah. I go running. There's a Chinkabin uh, forest right behind the rec center with some hiking trails. And boom, Scott Harveth is there taking a shower. I'm like, what? All right. So a couple things I want to bring up before we get to our winners and losers in the scorecard. Sort of on the lines of what you just said. So this came out in 2003. He mentions that his favorite burger spot is Five Guys. <laughs> so in a place in Alexandria. So people who maybe are not realizing that 2003 five guys was not a big thing that was actually a local chain to northern virginia i grew up going to the first original location which was not there it was was over in in a different location uh i thought that was great and as i'm reading like if you were reading this back in 2003 you might have been oh what's five guys that's interesting and then now like they have thousands of locations i think they they just opened up a location in new zealand you know that was kind of cool second scott loves craft beer and like in 2003, craft beer is not that huge yet. No, really. Like wasn't. Sam Adams is popping off, and he loves the Sam Adams. But yeah, I want to track what sort of beer Scott drinks throughout the course of this series because he he's loving craft beer, and I like that about him. Because I feel like most people like him in 2003 wouldn't be they would be drinking you know Bud, Coors, Coors Light. Dude, that's our man Brad Thor. He's with it. He's ahead of the trend. He, you know, he's ahead of the curve. Yeah. He sets. He's a trendsetter. He sets the trends. Yes. So, question for you: Do we like Meg? Because we didn't like Anna, and I don't want to. Meg is different than Anna. It has some similarities, <sighs> but do we do we like Meg? We obviously like Claudia better, but do we like Meg? Yeah, I'm having trouble because I'm comparing Meg constantly to Claudia Mueller, which you know mm. was one of my big winners of Lions of Lucerne. Big, big, big right. winner. I think I put her as the character winner for the book. Uh, that's coloring my judgment, but at the same time, I really didn't jive with Meg all that much. I don't remember, but I'm hoping she's not around much. I, I don't... <laughs> Scott goes through women, so, uh, you know, he's Norseman. But, I, yeah, I couldn't connect with her. If she never comes back or she's written off, I'll be fine with that. Where when Claudia was written off, Claudia Mueller, I, I was kind of down about it. So, no. How about you? Yeah, no. No, I, I agree. I, I, I totally agree. All right, so the other question is, we mentioned that um, Kyle likes to put these quirky characters and i'm beginning to pick up that brad also enjoys to have mm. some quirky characters and we mentioned one the troll we get the troll drop you, you brought that up i was glad you picked that 
you know, this Rick Rick Morrell guy is we I know that he he's going to show up later on. So he's he's a quirky character. The Gordo, a Vigliano. Yeah, uh, I like him. I like Good him a dude. lot. Good dude. And uh, it's sad to see Ari Shown get two chapters and then and then and then get got because I, I felt like there was something there with him that you could you could have had him be a be a player later on down the road pop up you know pop yeah. up as this Mossad guy sort of spooky type I thing. Agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any other quirky characters you wanted to highlight? Well, there's one who is going to come back because there was the drop at the end. Marcel Hamdi. They have right. intel. He's in Havana. Now he was the Moroccan she was supposed to meet with. Right. And so he's involved with the illegal arms trading and the funding of the terrorism. Funding. Yep. Yeah. So he. Yeah. Right. He was behind the banking. So Scott still got to go after him. But not somebody I'm really all that bought into. Like, that's not a huge cliffhanger for me that, whoa, Scott now gets to go after him. It's cool. Let's see it happen. But yeah, I think on characters like, oh, well, Skip Trawick. I mean, a little quirky with his Scottish accent. Love him. I want to see remember more. He was one of the ones from last from last novel. And then we get the mention of the his three uh, Secret Service agents. They, they pop up right. who were players in the, in the last novel as well. So. There were a couple of other name drops that that come back. I mentioned that journalist, Joni Burnus, but I don't think much is going to happen with her. But every time we're at the White House, we keep getting Director Vale. Other people on the National Security Council. I feel like there's a couple of other players there that were mentioned and are still around. Who else is there? Jameson is the director of the Secret Service. Director of the Secret Service. Gary Lawler of the FBI. We know Gary Lawler is going to be a... Big player throughout exactly. the entire series, so yep. and we love his his personal relationship with with Scott, right? So yeah, we've got a really we've got a pretty decent uh, cast of characters. Oh, it's Palmer, Longo, and Hollenbeck, the other Secret right. Service agents. Yeah, that's those are the names I was looking for. I love oh because I think one of them, Palmer or Longo, she brings back chocolate. She was the chocolate lady, right? Yeah, and Hollenbeck was the one who organized the secret service on the mountain. He was the point person when the president was taken organizing the search and rescue. So yeah, I, I right. love seeing these threads continue to pop up with the characters. All right. So you want to get into winners and losers, Mike? I think it's time for a quick winners and losers. We've got to judge a cover by the book and then we'll get out of here with our thriller scorecard. Winner. I'm going with the plane scene. The plane scene did so much for this book. It was one of the cooler action scenes I've ever seen. You get to see Scott doing what Scott does best, not being held back by the bullshit of Rick Morrell or the politicians who's telling them to liaise with the Egyptian special forces. Nope. It was Scott doing what Scott going to do. I had a hard time whether or not I, I wanted to pick the action set pieces in the desert because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed those. But ultimately, I'm going to spill the beans and sort of like what my free space was. Even though we got a lot of it, it might have been too much. I love the globetrotting, man. The, yeah. the winner's got to be the globetrotting. Yeah. The amount of places that Scott goes to. And it births a whole new section of our podcast. Traveling heavy. We get a win-win situation here. You know? It it's gotta be where Scott goes. The action set pieces in this 
are plentiful and amazing. And that airplane scene is crazy. Uh, and I, I love the dune buggy scene. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's got to it's got to be all of, all the globe trotting Scott does. Dude, I hear you. I hear you. I think we talked about some of the losers. So just a quick wrap up. A couple of the characters for me didn't hit like Meg Cassidy. And kind of these long winded descriptions of where Meg is, what she's doing and why. Almost didn't care so much where I cared more about it. the hand of God, Ari Schoen, the terrorist, and what is the Nadal organization? How are they operating? So I think the balance, I would say, is a loser of spending too much time on one where I wanted more of the other. Yeah, no, I I agree. I didn't have it. We we sort of you know hammered it home, but that's uh that's definitely it. Cool. All right, shall we judge a cover by the book? Because I love these. We've got some kick-ass covers here. You weren't too high on them. You gave them a three. I don't want to spill too much of your scorecard. I think a couple were really good. For example, D. I thought D was really cool. It's one of these, I think, reprints, like probably one of the mass market paperbacks. It's got the crescent, moon, and star in orange with a bluish-green backdrop of one of the zillion cities that they go to. It looks like the Great Mosque. I'm not sure which one it is, but one of the one of the big mosques with a cityscape in the background, so... I just thought that was a cool composition. I really like that one, and I really like almost all of them that are from. This is a, the new, the newest um, reprint. I like, I like E, which is the one that I own. It also has some crescent moons, which, which I think like are some things in the desert. I don't know for some reason I like gray book covers. That's I, cool. I, I don't know. Some, they, I like them. Some of the OG ones, though, the the one where they're in the desert and the the humvee that's flipped upside down like yeah. i don't know that was one of my favorite scenes so i really like that a which is like this american flag in the desert coming i, I guess there wasn't besides those 10 chapters there wasn't much in the desert though I, I but i guess there was a lot in the desert going on in the background with all of these attacks happening in jerusalem and uh in jerusalem yeah exactly so that's pretty prescient and then you know you gotta love a good crosshair on yes, the American flag. Exactly. So Yeah, the crosshair is on the flag in the middle, almost like a little bullet hole, a, a small circular size viewing of the flag. It's pretty cool. And the orange, I feel like that ca- carries throughout A, B, C, and a little bit of D. The orange, the reds. I feel like that color scheme captures the essence of this book. I don't know why. Yeah, no, definitely. Things get weird with F, though, which... Yeah, I, it's I, it's crazy. I like it, but it's crazy. Yeah, I think I'm going to give F the German covers, because so far we've had a German cover for every book in Mitrap and Scott Harvath. This one's got a glowing face. It must be Adara with the silver eyes. The rest of her features I, I didn't quite put with Adara, but... Dude, like ghostly-looking blue white shining face that is kind of creepy and is that scott it's got to be and you can tell that this person read the novel and actually knew something about <laughs> about the assassin right same with cover c they knew about the desert scene in the flipped uh humvee right so kind of gives it away that the silver dyed assassin is a woman oh that's true 
which is interesting. Unless that's supposed to be Meg Cassidy, but I feel like the eyes are like they did that on purpose, you know. So yeah, no, the cover covers here are solid. They're they're actually pretty solid. I just I just upped them one point because what you I kind of yeah I, don't know, I was so like this book it was just long and the ending sort of had me all messed up so I didn't give it a thorough inspection of the covers until just now so I just I just gave gave it a bump same and the fact that we just found two or three things on the cover that directly relate to the storyline I gave that's got to give it a bump yeah that's got to give it the bump yep 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 yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's give it the thriller scorecard. And the first category is action. This is the winner. So I gave it a four. Yeah, it's if you're going to pick one thing in this book, that's amazing. It's definitely the action. Yep. I give it a four as well. It doesn't reach a five, maybe because there might be just too much action. It's like, possible. Yeah. Too much things going on. And I guess it's it's also that's sort of related to the plot. And so for the plot, I gave it a two because the plot is just all over the place with this thing, man. It's, it is. And the the you know to separate the two from each other because I I don't want to ding the things that I liked about the book, which pretty much was the action set pieces. That's why I'm going to give that a four. But the plot, it's just like I don't know, too much of a good thing. Um, and it needed to be cut, yeah, substantially. Yep. Or, you know, reworked in certain ways to, to just make it work better. Yep. 100%. And since plot is also pacing, it definitely needs some editing down. Yes. Cutting yes. and trimming the fat here and there. So I'm giving it a two as well. Villains, you went a little higher than me. I went with a two. I wasn't all that bought into Hashim Nadal, Adara Nadal. And then the way they just popped up all over the place and... Adaro was the one actually setting the bombs for the explosions and moving around freely. I didn't buy into them so much as villains. All right. So I, I'm, we, we mentioned that we can do, I forgot we could do 0.5s. And so I'm going to use my first 0.5 and adjust it here. Okay. But adjust it downward because I originally had a three, but really in fact, it's like these villains are not, they're not awful villains. They're, they had aspects of them that I was intrigued by. And I was intrigued by this silver-eyed assassin until it was mentioned like a million times that she just kept popping up over all over the place with no consequences, right? Exactly. But it wasn't a great villain. So I feel like it's, boom, right smack dab in the middle. Not awful. Not great. 2.5. Yep. All right. I will allow that justification of the 0.5 because all right, fair, fair enough, fair a enough. three for the villains is, is not warranted here. So Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's too high. Yeah, I, I think I gave Gerhard Minor a three, and they're 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 on different levels. He's way better than than the Nadals. Yeah, see that, but we we didn't have point fives, and I said last time I would have bumped him up to a three point five. Yeah, so I think we were right. I think Lions were saying is a twenty five for both of us. We, yeah, we gave a little sure. bump with the half rule. Our buy in. I don't think we have to say much. <laughs> I was harsher though. I did it. I went down to the one. I couldn't do that. Like I could just couldn't I, do it. I didn't want to, but this book did not keep me engaged. I, I was super into it during the airplane scene, the desert scene. Macau, got, I even forgot. The opening scene of this book is banger, is awesome. But ever since then, it just didn't have me looped in. I, I think the Italy scene is, the Italy section of the book is what messes us up. It does. It's so fast. And that there's just so much that happens, yeah. and not a lot is explained to like get us to each point. Yeah, 
And I, yeah, no, I, I give it a two. Being to all those places, you know. I know. I would have thought, I was like, oh, Mike's going to love this section. You've been there. You've seen this place. I would have loved it. It just, it was too much. I, and when I was reading it, I was rolling my eyes. I just couldn't, I couldn't stay in it. So <laughs> I did funny. it. I think that's the first one and hopefully one of the only ones on the Thriller Pod scorecard. Yes. All right. So for covers, like I said, I bumped, I originally had a two, but you know, I, I didn't give it a thorough looking to until just now when we were discussing it live on the pod. And they're, they're three. They're, they're not a two. They're, they're a solid three. Uh, and I would even justify your three and a half because they have, most of them have something, Correct. I would, if not all of them have something to do with the plot. Maybe besides the crosshairs, but you know, you have an assassin who does take out people. So I'll allow that right. to happen. You know, I'm using my half point, my point five. I couldn't give it a four. Uh, I don't think these covers are anywhere near the best in the series, particularly a for being the original printing. It's a little weak on... Yeah, know, it's probably the weakest one. It's not bad, but it's probably the weakest yeah. one. For the original edition hardcover, it's just not really pulling its weight. Now, the good thing is C, D, and E, and F absolutely have to do with the book. You know, it was scenes from the book representing the essence of what's going on. For that, I'm using my half to bump it to 3.5, but no way. These covers are as good as Lions, so I couldn't give it that four. Right, right. I got our free space. I'm going with the airplane scene. You heard me talk about it. Five out of five. Great writing. And you, my friend, what's your free space? You know, I was thinking maybe we should just replace our free space with the winners because most of the time they are, because mine is also globetrotting. And it's just, it's amazing. It's not too much of a good thing. I want to go to all the places. Uh, I just I just love reading because again you could tell he loves traveling. He, he obviously was a travel writer, travel producer, whatever. And the, just the descriptions and he actually puts me in most of these places and makes me want to go there. So that's got to be my free space. That's it. That gives you an eighteen point five. Me a seventeen point five, rounding to an even eighteen. So Path of the Assassin gets an eighteen out of thirty. On the Thriller Pod scorecard, I think that's I feel about like right. That's, I feel like that's right. I think I that's, that's right. it. I think that fits the bill. No, because I feel like you can go. It's not obviously nowhere near as good as Lions. No, but there's. It's also like not batshit crazy. You know. Agreed. Agreed. Hey, I think the next one's a good one. State of the Union. I definitely remembered liking. Yes, State of the Union is good. Yeah, I think we're in for a good one here. And then four is takedown. I think blowback comes first, which is also oh, a very that's, good one. Blowback is very good. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, guys, we might have been a little down today on book two. Three, four are going to be awesome. Five, we'll see with takedown. Six, first command. I feel like uh, first commandment kind of gets forgotten. So we'll see. Yep. Sounds good. All right, so next month we will be coming at you with our discussion of State of the Union. Be on the lookout for that. And don't forget, before we hit you up with State of the Union, we will be dropping some episodes on No Limits, the Thriller podcast, our other feed. And the month of May, we'll be getting into Chris Howdy's newest release, 
Storm Rising, the next book in the Haley Chill series. So get ready on the Thriller podcast for our spoiler, spoiler warning discussion and review of that book. We always have to thank our patrons, our special operator Sherry F., our special agents Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. You can find us at thethrillerpod.com, on Twitter and Instagram, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and as always, keep the faith, man. Keep the faith.